What's up? This is Brent from Burgundy Blog. It is Wednesday afternoon, uh, January 8th. This is the first episode of Burgundy Blogcast that I will have done since the one immediately after Bruce Allen got fired. There's been tons of Redskins news since then, of course, regarding changes to the coaching staff and front office. I've been tweeting like crazy about all that stuff um, from my Twitter, at Burgundy Blog, and I'm thinking about 99.5% of you guys already follow that, but if not, check me out there. Anyway, some of my thoughts on these things... mm, are maybe a little more complex than what can be squeezed into a tweet. And in fact, yesterday on Twitter, I spent far too many minutes correcting and or explaining myself. So let's do a few minutes here on all of this news and noise, because it's um it's actually an exciting time. Can't believe I'm saying that. But this stuff is interesting. I think Rivera's already done a couple of things that are somewhat controversial, and that's a blogger's delight. So let's go. Well, first of all, uh, Rivera has been selected and hired and announced since the last time I did a podcast. It's a pretty huge, in fact, insanely huge deal for the Redskins. And the short version of my take on that is that I was a little surprised by it, actually, when it indeed came to fruition after days of rumors. However, I'm satisfied with it and, in fact, pleased by it. When I recorded that last one, it was widely suspected, almost assumed that uh, Rivera would get the gig, but not official. I'd say that up until the last minute, I was a little skeptical for two reasons. Number one, I feel like Rivera probably could have and would have and maybe did have options. And it's a little shocking that in his review of the Redskins organization, he determined that this is an ideal destination. Number two, I thought that Dan Snyder would go for a little bit more of a home run. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the Redskins are being widely praised across the league by executives and media and fans, not only of this team, but others for making a good choice. I think Rivera is very widely respected for his on-field success Um, at Carolina, and also his character. But uh, Rivera, at this point, is not exactly bound for Canton. His winning percentage as a head coach for the Panthers was only a little bit over 500. He did make a Super Bowl, but he didn't win it. We all all know by now that he had more losing seasons than winning seasons um, with the Panthers. And he just got fired uh, in the middle of a season, immediately after losing to the pathetic Redskins, no less. Some will argue that he was the best candidate available, and I'm not certain that you're wrong, but that doesn't mean he was a home run candidate. And for that matter, I'm not sure that it's true or automatic that there's a home run head coaching candidate available in every year's coaching cycle. I just kind of thought Snyder would go for more of a name play, like an Urban Meyer, maybe try to lure a Lincoln Riley. Even Matt Rule among college coaches has developed quite a reputation. Of course, he by now, you know, has ended up uh, replacing Rivera um, in Carolina. Among current or former head coaches, you know, I thought that he would potentially be a little more aggressive going after Mike Tomlin, as had been rumored previously, especially by Jason Lacanfora. He could have gone for a big blast from the past, like a Bill, Bill Cower. Among current head coaches, I think the buzziest is probably Josh McDaniels, who as of this moment doesn't have a job, but kind of feels like he might be pegged for um, Cleveland. Anyway, again, I'm not saying that any of those necessarily would have been better or smarter hires for the Redskins. In fact, I'm not sure that any of them obviously would have. But some would have been sexier for sure. And, uh, you know, I think actually Snyder deserves some credit for making a prudent move that is not necessarily great, but almost certainly good, and probably very appropriate for a team in particular that really does need a culture makeover and just a steadying of the ship. On the last podcast, I said I would probably give the hiring of Rivera as head coach a 7 out of 10. I still think that's about right. I'm happy with it. But to be clear, I'm only giving it a 7 because I don't grade on a curve. I just, I don't think this is an obvious grand slam. 
I don't think the Redskins are going to have Super Bowl aspirations under Rivera, at least any time in the next couple of years. But it's a good move. I like what I think I know of his personality and character by now, from having read a million things, of course, from having watched a lot of him on that um, Amazon TV series All or Nothing, which chronicled his 2018 season at Carolina. I love that he did go all the way to the Super Bowl. I like what he did with Cam Newton as a young and developing quarterback. I like that um, his teams there have been tough. They've been interesting with a handful of stars on both sides of the ball. They've generally played very hard-nosed defense. And I do think he can help transform this Redskins defense pretty quickly, probably. So I think it's a 7 or 7.5 out of 10 right now. But I don't feel sure that there was a 9 to be had out there. So as much as I still wish Dan Snyder would sell the team and move to Antarctica, I am forced to concede that I think he did a pretty good job with this one. Briefly, I'm going to touch on the Adam Schefter report from a few days ago. I think it came out Sunday morning. In fact, I know it did because I was reading it in church, getting elbowed by my wife for not paying attention. But I reminded her, listen, a blogger's job never stops. Anyway, Schefter said two things, one of which we kind of already knew or had deduced from leaks and rumors in the week leading up to it, that the Redskins probably are not going to sign another significant um, front office executive or GM type person until after the draft, which is obviously several months away. I do think that could potentially pose some interesting and maybe problematic issues to be addressed leading up to the draft and during it specifically with like trades. I mean, I'm not really sure I know who exactly would be the point person for trade offers in either direction. I'm guessing Ron or some combination of Ron plus Dan and then Kyle Smith, who's probably going to run the draft and Alex Santos, who does um, pro personnel. I'm not too worried that the group of them by consensus won't be able to take over that task and do a fine job, but it's a little unconventional and probably not a good permanent situation. To me, the more interesting thing, actually, that Schefter said in that report was that Dan Snyder had, prior to hiring Rivera, come very close to extending an offer and hiring Rick Smith, former GM of the Houston Texans. Smith has a pretty good reputation. He built some nice rosters for the Texans. He has been officially out of football for like at least a year, maybe two years while his wife was ill. I think she had breast cancer, and sadly, I think she died. Sounds like Rick Smith is ready to get back into football, and apparently, according to Schefter, Dan Snyder was very, very close to making him the first big banner hire since firing Bruce Allen. I can't think of another way to interpret this than to say that if that had happened, and in fact, if even that was close to happening, then Dan's plan for some time, even fairly recently, was not exactly this coach-centric or coach-centered approach that Rivera was hammering home during his intro presser. I don't know that the two philosophies are directly and completely at polar odds. But I think it's interesting. I think a lot of uh, media people in, in covering this little news blurb these last few days have been very dismissive of it, even people whose opinions I generally agree with. But I don't think that it's nothing. I think this matters if it's true that Snyder was actually thinking about hiring a GM first. I don't think it's all intuitive that that would have been immediately followed by the hire of Ron Rivera. And if it had, it would not have been followed by the hire of Ron with the team-wide messaging that he is the ultimate boss now. Now, if you want to say, okay, listen, Snyder was just exploring all of his options. You know, he had one plan and then he had another plan. He had plan A and B. He was kind of looking into two different types of strategies and ultimately he decided on the one. I mean, I guess maybe it it did go something like that or could have, and I don't have a huge problem with that. In fact, obviously I would have wanted him to do his due due diligence and research and thoroughly investigate all the good options available to him. But the timing of this is definitely such that the two things would have happened within days of each other. In other words, the almost hiring of Rick Smith and then the eventual hiring or agreeing to hire Ron Rivera. To me, it is a little fishy. I mean, I just, I guess what I'm really saying is let's keep in the back of our minds that maybe Dan was not exactly 1000% invested for the last several weeks or months in this new epiphany that his head coach has to have ultimate authority. It kind of seems like it really almost went a pretty different way. Maybe almost doesn't matter, but I personally think that 
Snyder's thinking and his motivation and his philo- uh, philosophy and his, you know, wokeness right now is very relevant to the expected success of this Ron Rivera era and to the degree of confidence that you and I should have that he won't meddle a year and a half, three years from now, if things have not dramatically improved by inserting himself more again into the situation or by hiring someone over the top of Ron's head that could really, you know, alter his expected dynamic. Now, I'm obviously putting the cart before the horse there. I'm not saying that I foresee that on the horizon, but there's certainly nothing in Snyder's history that would suggest that's impossible. And to me, when I hear that he almost hired a GM first, like a week before he did decide to hire the coach, I just feel like maybe it's appropriate for us to have a healthy skepticism that he has completely turned over a new leaf. By the way, this this really is kind of willfully ignoring the fact that in the past, Snyder supposedly did give full authority to coaches, including Mike Shanahan and Joe Gibbs before him. And, you know, those situations obviously didn't work and didn't last. So, you know, I probably won't circle back much to this idea over the course of 2020. But yeah, I mean, it was a little more interesting to me than it was to some others. Last thing I'll say is it's it's curious. I'm not I'm not saying it's bad or scary or problematic, and I'm not outraged, but it, it's a little interesting that Schefter knew these things. In, in his report, more than one time, he used the phrase the team's thinking. And I just frankly I'm I'm curious, like legitimately curious, how does Adam Schefter know the team's thinking right now? Because the only thinking that matters right now with respect to the team's thinking, the Washington Redskins thinking, is either Dan Snyder's or Ron Rivera's or some combination of the two. I don't think that those are the only two possible sources of this report, but those are the only two sources who I feel could have produced for Schefter a lead that would be worth our paying attention to. You know what I mean? Previously, Schefter has been very buddy-buddy with Bruce Allen, who we all hate and know to be bad. Schefter, every year for the last several years, has said some tweet or story or said in you know on TV that Bruce Allen is smart and shrewd and good and successful and among the most influential and best executives in the NFL. That's horseshit. But he said it, even though Schefter's really good. I mean, he's generally not wrong about his news breaks and even his you know thoughts and analysis on the league. I mean, he's with it. I, I I'm I'm down with Schefter. I follow him and I I trust him. But I had a tiny bit of skepticism about this report because unless he got it from Dan or Bruce, sorry, unless he got it from Dan or Ron. I'm not really sure exactly how confident I am in his understanding of the team's thinking. And I do know that in the past, one of his key sources on the Redskins has been Bruce. It's certainly possible that Bruce fed him a lot of the stuff because, you know, he either knew or suspected that Dan had been in the Bahamas, with, uh, Bahamas courting Rick Smith. It's also possible that Eric Schaefer said something, knowing that now he's on borrowed time and apparently will be allowed to leave the organization when his contract expires in May. It's also entirely possible that Rick Smith's agent was out there doing work for his client, trying to promote Rick as a, as a candidate elsewhere in the league. I'm just saying that if any of those people were the ones that gave Adam Schefter this report about the team's thinking, it really doesn't matter. I mean, that could change tomorrow. That might be what one of those people recently believed to be Dan's or Ron's thinking, but, but that could change at any time at Dan's or Ron's discretion, and Schefter wouldn't know. Side note, at the risk of getting a little too philosophical, I kind of have a pet peeve, a pet peeve about reporting of things that are going to happen in the future, especially the distant future, because, well, you know, it's impossible to actually know what's going to happen in the future. And so even, you know, in this case for Adam Schefter to say, well, the Redskins aren't going to pick a GM until May or after the draft or whatever. I mean, he might end up being right, but it's also kind of an easy and possibly lazy move to predict something that's going to happen five months from now, because in the end, he can ultimately come back and say, well, Dan changed his mind. Anyway, bringing it back home, am I a little worried that, you know, somebody is still working for the Redskins who's feeding Schefter stuff? I mean, I guess I am. Maybe some of this was Dan trying to sniff out leaks. I don't know. 
especially that weirdness where we thought Eric Schefter was fired. Sorry, uh, Eric Schaefer had been fired and then come to find out he's actually not fired, but almost certainly will be, or at least allowed to walk in a few months. There definitely was a few minutes on Twitter there where it really seemed like Danny Boy was trying to find his rat. Anyway, I would caution you to just be like basically not to swallow reports about the team's thinking right now because there's only two damn people at the top right now. And I, I cannot fathom why it would have been in the best interest of Dan or Ron to report to Adam Schefter that Rick Smith had almost been hired instead. That kind of undermines this whole new philosophy thing. There's almost no way it came from either of them. And if it didn't, then I'm not taking it as concrete. Rivera's hire of um, Jack Del Rio as defensive coordinator feels like just an awesome move. The two of them obviously have a lot of familiarity from previous interactions in the NFL, though they had not coached together previously on the same staff. I think that's important to keep in mind, especially as we prepare to pick apart Ron's proclivity to bring former colleagues from the Panthers to the Redskins. I read somewhere that Del Rio and Rivera only face each other six times as coaches in the NFL and I think twice as head coaches. So this is not an example of him just reaching into his past and plucking out somebody comfortable. Del Rio is an extremely accomplished and successful defensive coordinator in the past and two-time head coach. I'm not going to run through all the rankings. You can Google them yourself. But Del Rio's defenses have frequently been top 10 in yards and points allowed. He has a sterling reputation. I think he's a versatile defensive coordinator. He's a 4-3 guy. Just music to my ears. Yes, yes, I know that uh, base defense only accounts for 25 to 30% of all plays by an NFL defense these days. But, you know, I just frankly think it's kind of crazy the way this, that that stat, that concept gets bandied about on social media as if 25 freaking percent of your plays don't matter. We don't care that we're putting our best foot forward, that we're playing the best defense possible in 25%. A quarter of all the plays people are just blowing off as like not mattering in the ultimate game of inches. Anyway, he's going to have Montez Sweat and Kerrigan and maybe Chase Young or whoever else with their hands in the dirt, moving forward, attacking the quarterback, uh, playing the run on their way to the quarterback, as Del Rio has now said a couple times. I think that fits the Redskins' current personnel lovely. Lovely? That was a stupid adjective. I think it fits it nicely and logically. And I think he's, uh, you know, my sense is that philosophically and schematically, he's a versatile coach. I mean, I think, I think you're going to see a lot of hybrid looks out of the defense. His defenses have historically played a lot of man coverage uh, in the secondary, whereas Rivera's have, have mostly played zone. But that doesn't bother me. In fact, I think that's an advantage. They'll probably be able to mix and match. Del Rio is very respected. He brings instant credibility to the defense if Rivera already didn't and Rivera already did. He's not going to take crap. Both of these guys, both of these guys, by the way, are physically imposing uh, individuals and presences. They are linebackers. They are hulks. Maybe it's stupid to care about that, but I, I just, I kind of like that. I think it fits in with the change that needs to be happening. With the Redskins players viewing their coaches less as dopes and more as bosses. Anyway, at the risk of repeating myself, I just think that that probably the best thing about hiring Rivera and then what Rivera was able to lock onto and hopefully amplify by hiring uh, Del Rio is that they're going to be able to take this defense, which does have some nice parts, and which Minuski was not able to assemble correctly. And I think they will be able to assemble it correctly. And the defense could become a pretty badass machine pretty fast. It's easy to get carried away with these things. I'm not saying they're going to be top five. But I would be legitimately surprised if it's not a better than average defense in 2020, which will just be a quantum leap from what happened in 2019. I sense my take on Del Rio is the popular one. Because frankly, there's just not much not to like about that hire. But certainly some of Rivera's other moves to fill out the coaching staff have been less widely celebrated and in fact might be controversial. I'm referring to the fact that a whole gang of assistants will be joining him 
by the same path from Carolina. If I'm not mistaken, so far the following position groups will be coached by transplants from the Panthers. Offensive line, wide receiver, tight end, linebacker, and of course most importantly offensive coordinator, which we're going to come back to. I think the new defensive backs coach, Chris Harris, actually came from the Chargers, but I'm pretty sure the connection there is that he played for Rivera at another stop. So without question, Rivera is primarily filling his staff with individuals from his past, most of whom seem to have reputations generally ranging from fine to good, though not really exceptional. It should also be noted, of course, that Redskins' previous trainer, Larry Hess, after having been fired, was replaced by another guy from Carolina, Ryan Vermillion. Most teams don't really pay a lot of attention, at least their fans don't, I think, to the training staff. But of course we do here because all of our players get hurt and some of them have potentially life-threatening diagnoses. Also, they tend to recover like they've been stranded on a desert island. So in terms of coaches really on every level and extending even to the training staff, Ron is definitely bringing his guys. Many people are up in arms about this on Twitter. I guess the thinking is that a truly elite staff would be built through a series of legit interviews of individuals from teams throughout the league, each job assigned based on independent merit. And trust me, I get that. I grasp that. It's not crazy. In fact, it makes sense. But honestly, my take on this objection is that I think it's a little overblown. I'm not really too worried about Rivera bringing as many people from Carolina as he wants. I realize that the Panthers are not the Patriots, and probably each one of these men is not a hidden gem. But the fact is that Rivera's primary job with the Redskins is to completely burn down and rebuild the culture. There's the buzzword, culture. We as fans have been talking about it for years because we've known it's been terrible. The Redskins are basically built on complacency and excuse making, as well as scapegoating and self-preservation. Winning in the past has often taken a backseat to profit and even spite. So the culture is a disaster. And I do think, as previously stated, that Rivera is a a good choice for restarting and developing one. Therefore, I think it's reasonable that he should be able to bring along with him assistants with whom he has great familiarity and in whom he has great trust and no doubts regarding their ability to convey his message. I'd say that what Rivera knows about all of those assistants from having coached with each of them for a season or more, and in some cases many seasons, is a lot more valuable and a lot more reliable than what he would generally collect via uh, interview, reputation, and word of mouth. So if he wants to bring some, and in fact many, I say fine. We're here celebrating his hiring because we apparently trust him to do this the right way. I'm not sure why fans are not inclined to trust him in designating his key lieutenants. There's a few more layers to this. First of all, coaching, even more so than playing football, is something that I think we as fans, especially at the assistant level, at the at the non-head coaching and non-play calling as a coordinator levels, we really have no idea who's truly good and who isn't. Coaching reputations from the public fan perspective are like 90% built on media narrative. So the idea that this guy Hostler could be such a massive downgrade from Ike Hilliard is, in my opinion, like possible, but kind of ridiculous for any of us to assume. Next, and even more importantly, why on earth would Ron Rivera himself, in his second and very possibly final chance at head coaching in the NFL, why would he intentionally sandbag himself by settling for substandard coaches? Do you really suspect, those of you who strongly object to this mass influx of former Panthers coaches, that he's the kind of guy, does he strike you as the kind of guy who's prioritizing comfort and familiarity and friendship over production and potential for collective success? Hell no, obviously not. It's not like he's just hiring his buddies. I'm certain he's picking the ones he believes can accomplish what he wants. And again, if we trust him with the team, why why on earth wouldn't we trust him with the staff? I, I trust him even even more with the staff, I think. 
I say that the Redskins needed and still do need as much change and turnover as possible at every single level of the organization to discreetly separate the past from the present and future, since they desperately need to be so different. And if Rivera thinks these dudes he's worked with in the past are best suited to accomplish his goals, and I certainly have no reason to believe that his primary goal is not winning. If he thinks that, then I say go for it. Now, the big one is offensive coordinator, where many, many Redskins fans were hoping, in fact, strongly preferring that Kevin O'Connell would be retained so that he could keep some continuity with Dwayne Haskins and they could grow together and, you know, take off next year. Here's why I think fans um, most liked Kevin O'Connell, who now appears ticketed for somewhere other than DC. Number one, uh, in the final couple of games that we believe he was the primary play caller and scheme designer for the Redskins offense in the 2019 season, Haskins played his best and the offense was rather effective. Number two, um, when O'Connell talks, like in pressers during his weekly availability, he sounds like he gets it. He sounds intelligent. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that he has a good understanding of NFL offense. Number three, uh, he's a former teammate of Tom Brady, and I think there's an idea that maybe he should have some greatness by osmosis. Number four, he's young and handsome, and as recently as a year ago in the NFL, one of the primary trends was that that, that alone was um, about three quarters of what was necessary to become a head coach. The next one is that several uh, coaches who have left the Redskins staff in recent years with good reputations at a young age uh, on the offensive side of the ball, including Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, all of whom we know by now are head coaches in the playoffs elsewhere, have gone on to great success. And although they're completely different people from Kevin O'Connell, which is as obvious as anything can be, and although, although none of those three have really even overlapped with him in any substantial way, there is a thought, or I'd say really a fear among Redskins fans that he's the next, he's the next one, and that um, it would be humiliating and a great shame for him to escape the organization and enjoy such unbridled success elsewhere. Um, so if you follow me so far, I'm up to a lot of reasons why fans wanted um, O'Connell to stay, but you might be catching on to the fact that I think m- uh, many of them are, um, well, not great reasons. The The last thing that I think uh, causes most of us to think that Kevin O'Connell is great is that we've been hearing that basically shoved down our throats by beat writers and journalists in the local media for a couple of years now, that he's a shooting star. I think we've really not been hearing that, at least not with specifics um, on a national level. But what I'm getting at here is that we don't really know by production that Kevin O'Connell is anything special at all. He called a couple nice games for Dwayne in December, and he definitely can talk a good game, and he has previously been associated with some good coaches. But I really feel that most of what we think we know about Kevin O'Connell is just stuff we've read, like on ESPN and in The Athletic and in The Post and stuff like that. And I know that these writers have been impressed by him in their interaction with him, but I think we just really got quite carried away with the legend of Kevin O'Connell here over the last year and a half. We've really wanted him to be part of the succession planning because that's just convenient. And, uh, you know, with him as offensive coordinator this year, I think, I think many fans were far too quick to let him off the hook for the team's, frankly, terrible offense through the first three quarters of the year by blaming it first on Jay Gruden and then on Bill Callahan. Some of that is certainly true. I think he was handcuffed in many ways. And also by the absence of Trent Williams and Jordan Reed and the fact that his best receivers were all rookies and had to, uh, well, develop. I get it, but what I'm listing here are not reasons that he should be promoted. They're excuses. They just are. I mean, that's that's what they are. Most of the argument for his greatness, in my opinion, is excuses. And excuses can be real, but I still hate using them as a big part of the justification for an individual's advancement. I think it's no less important to con- consider, uh, you know, seriously, that the offense really was truly horrific for much of this year. They went a month without scoring a touchdown. Again, excuses. Yes, they're there. 
But like a better reason to keep uh, O'Connell would be if he had like clearly overcome those obstacles to generate a more functional offense. If he had been able to shine through Bill Callahan's primitive offensive philosophy, if he had been able to coach up or scheme up better protections so that Dwayne for six weeks wasn't taking four to five sacks a game. Yes, those things would have been hard, but doing hard things well is why a coach should be considered excellent. And I just didn't really see enough, you know, well, enough production, enough achievement, enough accomplishment. I didn't see obvious cold hard evidence of Kevin O'Connell's brilliance for me to get worked up that he's not staying. Continuity, especially with a new, uh, you know, a new, a young quarterback is certainly nice in a vacuum and all else being equal. I'd, I'd you know, I'd rather have the same guy here than, than a new guy and, and have uh, Dwayne you know, need to learn his, I guess, third system in three years if you if you count college. But the Redskins' offense was was very bad overall this year. And Dwayne's breakout games came against a very bad secondary in the Eagles and a very bad overall defense in the Giants. And O'Connell has really only been coaching in the NFL for a few years. He's had a lot of smart teachers and he's got a lot of smart friends and he does seem smart. But it's much more likely that he's not going to be Bill Walsh or even Sean McVay than that he is. So I've established then why I'm not losing sleep over O'Connell um, leaving. But what then do I think about the new guy, um, Scott Turner, son of Norv? Well, I, uh, I'm i not going to act like I know a ton about his offense. I've been researching pretty hard for the last few days, reading stuff written about him over the last couple years, and then new stuff by guys like Mark Bullock in The Athletic, and some stats and research by John Kime with ESPN. And I looked a little at some of the Panthers' offense over the last month of the 2019 season, after Rivera was fired, uh, during which time... Turner, of course, was the, you know, was officially the offensive coordinator and play caller for the Panthers. I think I've gathered the following things. He likes a lot of um, quick passing and short passing. I think he puts a high priority on completion percentage. I think he uses a variety of running game schemes, but more zone than anything else. And Mark Bullock seems to feel like he marries it pretty well with his passing scheme, which is reassuring because the failure to do that was a common criticism of the offense cooked up by Jay Gruden and Bill Callahan. I know Turner likes to throw it on first down, and in particular call play action on first down. I think that is a forward-thinking philosophy that is supported by analytics. I believe that uh, Cam Newton, as a young quarterback, honestly did benefit quite a bit from working with Scott Turner. Not super young over these last few years. I mean, I guess Cam's coming up on 30. But Cam certainly has strongly endorsed him in uh, several public remarks that I found. And I also think, frankly, that growing up as the son of North Turner has almost certainly given him many advantages in learning offensive football and also how the NFL works. I know that that this idea of nepotism is touchy and very off-putting for many, and I get it. My personal philosophy on nepotism in the NFL is that it's not really what a lot of people make it out to be, and it's different from what you've encountered in other, quote, normal workplace environments and professions. I definitely feel that what we've seen with, say, Kyle Shanahan, or hey, even um, Ken Zampezi, who's been hired as the off, uh, sorry, as the quarterbacks coach by Rivera for, you know, presumably for Haskins now, whose dad uh, is very famous, Ernie Zampezi. Most of these people don't get to where they end up because they have famous dads. Most of them do get their foot in the door for that reason, but they usually get that foot in the door when they're like eight. And then because coaching in the NFL is such an all-consuming thing, these coaches' kids grow up in it. They live it. They see it. They get some depth of understanding about it. Scott Turner probably knew how to draw plays for an NFL offense before he took the SAT. I'm not saying I know he's a prodigy. I certainly don't know that for a fact at all. But I think, you know, there's a lot of jokes about coaches' kids getting jobs and how slimy that is. But let's be real. We're not talking here about the spoiled son of a successful rich businessman who's born with a silver spoon, gets into a good college because he's a legacy, gets really into a fraternity and blows off most of his classes, barely passes but manages to get a diploma, and then because of his name, immediately gets plugged into the family business and 
immediately gets tagged as the heir apparent. That kind of thing is gross, yeah. That's not what this is. Scott Turner, like many other second-generation NFL coaches, has worked his way up by succeeding at each level. I mean, a lot of smart people, including, I don't know if you follow Warren Sharp. He's a very well-respected uh, analyst, I guess an independent analyst, who goes very hard on numbers for um, football efficiency and effectiveness. He tweeted that he was very impressed with the small sample of offense called by Scott Turner in the last few games of this season. He did not get to where he is because his dad got him a job. He got to where he is because his dad taught him everything he knows. Here's why I think a lot of fans are not excited about him becoming the Redskins' new offensive coordinator. Number one, he's part of this big gang of assistants coming over from another team which kind of seems uninspired. Number two, he's very young, but guess what? He's like roughly the same age as Kevin O'Connell. And in O'Connell's case, for some reason, that's usually considered a bonus. Thirdly, um, we all think of Norv as very boring. So I think we look at and think of his son as boring. Norv had a super dry, boring personality. And I think his offenses generally didn't have like a real sexy identity. They were just kind of good. That's why he got so many high-profile jobs. So I've already gone too long on this, but basically, I don't think there's any good reason to think that Kevin O'Connell is such a brighter star than Scott Turner. I mean, he might be, but we just don't know that. By the way, maybe O'Connell is not coming back primarily because he didn't want to. I mean, I'm not writing off the possibility that that's a big part of this. I don't know for sure that Rivera didn't, you know, choose him first, prefer him. Maybe O'Connell's already got something lined up with Cleveland because McDaniels is going there. And maybe that's going to get, you know, announced right when this podcast ends. But basically, I just kind of feel like this is a coin flip at worst between the two of them. So I really have no problem trusting Rivera on his preference. This has already gone far too long. So just one more thing. Allow me to speculate on Rivera's um, approach to and plan for Dwayne Haskins. As of this moment, I feel I will be very surprised if he doesn't get the very first of the QB1 reps in OTAs and minicamps, and if he is not the week one starter for next season. I certainly would guess that Rivera is presently expecting for those things to happen. But I do not think any of those things is a stone-cold lock, and I do suspect that Rivera will find a way to pull in a competent backup who at the very least will not completely roll over and die as competition for Haskins. And I can certainly see a scenario in which that backup plays at some point next year. And I can see a scenario in which Dwayne Haskins is not the starter in 2021. I don't predict those things. I don't expect those things. I certainly don't wish for those things. Obviously, what I would strongly prefer is that from the first snap of the first game of next year, Haskins looks like the truth. That's better for me. That's better for you. That's better for Ron. That's better for everybody. If the legit quarterback of the future is already on the roster, that pretty much solves the single biggest problem that any NFL team could have. However, I think that Rivera truly does believe in legitimate competition at every position. And my intuition says, from what I've heard Rivera say, and what we've now all heard many people close to the situation say about Haskins, that Ron um, probably has some initial doubts, some degree at least of skepticism in Dwayne, and in particular his work ethic, motivation, and leadership. And I think he will certainly demand that those things improve markedly. And I doubt he will have any qualms about quickly scrapping plan Haskins if they don't. Rivera did not draft Haskins, and Rivera is not going to be patient with Haskins. I definitely doubt the Redskins will try to draft a quarterback at all high, but I'm definitely thinking that they're going to do their best to work around the cap problems caused by Alex Smith's contract to bring in a totally legitimate QB2 who could push for QB1. I don't have any idea who that might be. I don't think they're going to be able to spend a ton on it. But I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be surprised um, as to the extent to which that guy that they bring in is a threat to Haskins. And I don't have any problem with that at all. If he bristles at that, if he shrinks from that, then Rivera will have learned something very important. On the other hand, if Haskins rises up over that, clearly establishes himself as the superior option, Rivera will have learned something equally important and better better for the whole organization. 
It certainly seems that Haskins went from bad to good over the course of his rookie year. And for a guy who only started one year in college, maybe that was inevitable. But the sample size is still small, and overall there was definitely more bad than good. I'm definitely not taking it for granted that starting in September, he will be good again and just improve steadily to great. I certainly hope that happens, but I'm certain Ron's going to make him prove it. 